Hey, let's go right where you are. Stop right where you are. Just quiet for just a second. Let's pray. Uh, and then you can go about your business. Here we go. Almighty and everlasting God, you will to restore all things in your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our King. Now mercifully grant that all people and all nations, divided and wounded by sin, may be brought under your gentle yoke and rule through him with your Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns one God with you, Heavenly Father, world without end. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you. Uh, a lot going on this morning. Everybody's, it's nice when the energy level is this high. So security? I know. I, 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 got, I got no idea what's happening right now, but that's okay. If you put some money in the basket, it'll go to Lori Wilbert, who is, uh, she does the best thing around, which is she's been doing prison ministry, including Stateville, for 30 years or something. She's a deaconess and another sort of human being. And St. John supports her well, but we should even uh, do more. So that would be nice. I got an email that says, Christmas sharing needs mittens, socks, gloves, and the outlier, canned chicken. So, I, you know, but I don't know. We give them what they want. So if you have any of those things or are buying any of those things, uh, actually Black Friday is a good time to buy I don't know about canned chicken, but mittens and gloves and socks. So, and it's a little later this year, so you have a little more time, but do not delay. And remember, you can come and volunteer. There's going to be a chance for you to volunteer, and they always need extra people and many hands light work and all of that. Okay, Lori Wilbert, this. Arthur just writes me from Uruguay this morning, after he's just been to Chile and was on a ferry to Argentina or something, to say... Uh, he has this laundry list. Uh, he has a very long email list of all the people who have ever gone on trips with him. So I'm just giving you a fair warning. He's going to send out an email about this trip to you know several hundred people. If you're interested in going, you should let me know so I can sort of um, kind of get your name on the list and make sure. I know it's a long way off, but there's lots to do between now and then. So if you have any interest at all, let me know. Uh, there's a couple more brochures back there. Um, what else am I forgetting? Anything else we need to talk about? Sorry we got such a late start. Everything had been going so well. It was the perfect first service. It was eight seconds over 60 minutes, which is in the level of tolerance for musicians. Thank you very much. It was 60 minutes and eight seconds. So you, you say, well, that was pretty well done, right? I know that some of you old Lutherans just like to keep going and going but normal people do not. <laughs> they like a period on the end of their sentence, okay? Besides that, I mean, think about little kids. They need to know when they can eat and sleep, and predictability is everything, and it's true for you too, because deep down, David, you're just a big little kid. Okay, good enough. All right, questions about anything? Um, just for your planning purposes, we're going to have two weeks around Thanksgiving. The week, the Sunday before Thanksgiving and the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're not having Bible study. It has just to do with how staff are moving around and whether we have enough people to get, and so many people are gone. for. It's primarily because we don't have enough people to run Sunday school. So when we don't have Sunday school, we normally don't. So there's two weeks there. That's odd, but we're in an odd period of time. Uh, so anyway, just kind of mark your... So that must mean we come next week and then maybe don't come the next week, but... Uh, anyway, kind of look at the... Next week is the one before Thanksgiving. Next week is before Thanksgiving? Yeah. <laughs> Keep your cards and letters coming. I got no idea. Man, I'm just trying to make it to 245 when governing board is over, okay? So I, I got... Uh, I'll ask Pastor Nelson, and he'll tell me what to do. So it's going to be great. 
Anyway, just really next week is the week before Thanksgiving. Is it 24th? The 24th is next Sunday? Yeah, I think we're not meeting next Sunday. So, uh, I mean, that's so long from now. That's, you know, thousands of years from now. Anyway, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? That's what we've been chasing for a little bit. And I've been trying to convince you that uh, Jesus doesn't actually want you to raise your hand when he asks that question. These are the things we've done. A little bit with the Lord. Well, we did the prodigal son, which I didn't put there. But then, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, so that this gap closes between heaven and earth, so that earth becomes like heaven. And right now, at least here this morning, you heard it at the end of the sermon this morning, when Jesus comes down from heaven to sit on the altar, heaven and earth come together, and it's a different sort of place. And it happens here, and it doesn't happen anyplace else in the world, only in the church. Or Jesus takes this child and says, this one is the greatest which would have been normally scorned, but then raises the value and dignity of children. And then the lost, too, leaving the 99 and seeing the lost sheep, right? And then this is what we want to do today. If your brother offends you, go, which is a thing that the church talks a lot about, but hardly anybody does it. So I want to actually talk about doing it today. And that will then fall into the great commission of go, just like you go to a brother, you go and make disciples. So, you know, what's going on here with this kingdom? Jesus wants the earth back. He wants kids back. He wants the lost back. He wants your brothers and sisters back. He wants everybody back. And you remember how Matthew 28 ends. Teach everything to everybody. So everybody gets the same thing. Make disciples of all nations, teaching everything to everybody. All nations, teaching them to, and you know, observe is not the best, treasure up all the things I've left behind to value these things and think they're wonderful. And I just put a little note there. Um, you should be looking for this in your next pastor. Probably the right at the top of the list of things is the, anybody can go to the good people. That's a piece of cake. You know, uh, go, into, go into a good family's house where everything, they respect you and everything's good. And they, you know, the difficulty is going in any circumstance to anybody. The difficulty is going to kids. The difficulty is going to lost sheep. The difficulty is going to sinners. The difficulty is to engage everybody as if they're the only one. St. Augustine, God loves you as if you're the only one, right? To engage people in that way. So it's a primary thing. You'll start to get stuff by email after the governing board meeting today about where things are going. Be patient. Um, things will come to you bit by bit about where that's all going to go. But you shouldn't expect any big motion from the congregation until well after Christmas because things are just too busy for everybody, not just us. So we'll let you know. Point number two. I'm sorry, no, I didn't, I didn't number this. Of course, this is going to kill Jesus because um, his way doesn't satisfy people who want to be in power. Jesus would not be a good candidate for president in America right now, right? Because he just doesn't have what it takes like meanness and duplicity and should I keep going or are you okay? You can sort of the, yeah, so, yeah, just keep watching if you don't believe me. So, um, and you notice here, this, this laundry list I give you, the, the little, the least, the lost, the last, and the dead, I didn't just make that up. These are the stories, right? And you recognize even some of these names, the little, micros, micron, right, small, the little, the least, the last, eschatos, Right? Eschaton, the last day. And the dead, necros, if you've ever been through the catechumenate, there it is. Those are the ones that Jesus come. And I give you then happy Luther. You know, there's so often cranky Luther. 
but a couple of very nice happy Luther things. This is beautiful. God's true nature is not wrath. He's not angry. In fact, wrath is not a proper attribute of God. Right? God is love. His heart is not filled with wrath. God is love. God's true nature is to love people, people who are troubled. God's true nature is to have mercy on those who are brokenhearted. God's true nature is to forgive those who have fallen. God's true nature is to refresh those who are exhausted. That's beautiful stuff, right? And you notice that's 1538, late in Luther's career. By the time you get to about 15. 28, 29, 30, you're feeling pretty confident about what Luther says. He develops, like we all develop, across the course of time. But the catechisms get written, preached and written around 15, 28, 29. Um, By then, things are pretty solid, and this is a beautiful thing. God's true nature is to love the lost. So um, what you're getting is kind of the straight-up Lutheran stuff. Now, how this looks in our life together. I did spin the page to number two, okay? And you know this, you know these famous texts. And it follows on, as you recall, from the child and the lost sheep. So the little and the lost. And now, um, Jesus, sort of, for those of you who are, want literalism and punch lists, here Jesus gives it to you. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Already this would rule out any form of social media because um, to gain your brother is not the upper it's good for other things but to gain your brother back is not one of the ways but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses that's the Old Testament Um, it's sure when two or three people will swear to it Or if you're going to tell a lie, you have to find uh, two or three more liars to get with you in order to do somebody innocent in. It can happen, but the odds are against it. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So let's just just go that far today, okay? Because there's plenty in that to see what's going on. So this is the strangest thing. But there are some things that um, kind of temper it, okay? Immediately, there are some challenges with this. So I just want to alert you to them. But the overarching thing for this is the primary way that this great piece of gospel is exercised in the church as is a woeful and heavy piece of law. So this beautiful thing where you go to somebody to initiate forgiveness... And to draw them back to the church, to have them live in love, to have them touch the heart of God, to act as God acts, is regularly exercised in the church as utter law. So the first warning here, keep law and gospel right and not turn the gospel into law or not make this a punch list. I'll give you an example about this later. So it's not a punch list and it's not a stopwatch. A couple of ways this can go wrong is people say... David's a bum. I told him he's a bum. He didn't repent immediately, so he's out. When's the next orders meeting so we can get excommunication of David on the agenda? Because we like to follow rules of the agenda in the Constitution, as you know, right? Or, um, you know, somebody does something against you, and um, 
you want to go to them because you want to make sure they pay up. They realize they were wrong, and you want to make sure that they feel it. Yeah. None of that is in there, although these are primary ways this gets exercised. So first is just the distinction of law and gospel, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Right behind that is to, the reason you're going is to gain your brother or sister back. This is wearying. Have you had a brother or a sister? Yeah. Did they steal your allowance every Saturday morning the whole time you were growing up for five years? What? Hold on. I was flashing back there a second. Uh, there's other things, you know. Um, but, you know, get, gain your brother or sister back. And, you know, keep the context clean. This is always, the, almost inevitably when I do this in new members, the first question I get every time is, I'm going to try this at the office Monday morning. To which I immediately say, unless you're working at the diocese of the Catholic Church in Joliet, you might want to just tone this down just a little bit. <laughs> this is the church. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is technical language for how the church works. We could talk about whether there are possibilities for this to you know, overflow into where you work. But you give this a go where you work. You are on your own. okay? But in the church... I'm right with you. So just, I just want to put that out there. So for a moment, just forget about anything beyond these two square blocks, except for the tethers that go to the One Holy Catholic Apostolic and to St. Louis and Fort Wayne. Okay, so <laughs> what's weird about this, okay, and you should already, you know, your spidey senses should be tingling. The weirdest thing about this is that the victim takes the initiative, this is very, very dangerous territory. Sure, if somebody you know, tells a lie about you or you know, sort of um, does something that's you know, minor or common, we might be able to screw up the courage to you know, talk about this. But this calls for everything. This calls for the abuse of children. This is about sexual violation. This is about every sin that could happen. And if you and I just simply cause more trauma by enforcing this in the way of the law, because this is what Jesus says, and by God, we're going to square this up, you've, done, you've gone from bad to worse. So uh, I just want to caution you. What Jesus is not doing is setting down a new law about how things are going to work among us. What Jesus is saying is we need to get everybody confessing and forgiving and become one again. How are we going to do that? And the way that that's done is to be explicit about our sins, to confess, to forgive, and go on. And later, you're actually going to see that the verb that's used doesn't mean that things come back to normal. It means actually they get better. So it doesn't go from bad to worse. It goes from bad to better. That's the goal here. So I give you this... um, the note the, the sin comes from a brother and sister in Christ, and this is how the church is going to work. This is how the body of Christ functions. If we would ever actually try this in the church, except for the very occasional exercise of excommunicating somebody we don't really like, you would be startled at how the church would change. Now, Jesus makes this point very quickly that forgiveness is hard work. It must have been very interesting to sit with Jesus and hear him say this and then see what, how people would react to this, the disciples especially. But this note that I run occasionally for you um, in the, in the um, 
Forgiveness is not the comfortable, often somewhat superior, I forgive you. So if you have any sense when you say, I forgive you, that you're better than the person who just confessed, you certainly have it wrong. Because at the point where you exercise superiority, you're also exercising power, and you are not exercising the goodwill and love that gets a brother back. Forgiveness is not the comfortable, often somewhat superior, I forgive you, that comes so easily to human lips when emotions have cooled. Things are then smoothed over, but the resentment descends into the unconscious, together with a hidden condition that my forgiven injury should not be repeated. The ultimate experience of forgiveness brings a change of heart, a metanoia of the spirit, after which every seeming injury, injustice, rejection, past and present and future, every so-called blow of fate becomes, as it were, now listen to this, an essential note in the music of God, however discordant it may sound to our superficial hearing. So here's the possibility that when we sin and confess and are forgiven, that things actually get better and not worse. Not just even money. This is not a zero-sum game. This is not just can't we get back to normal. This is instead, can't we do much, much better than we've done before? Can't we grow up in Christ? Can't we learn to love better? Can't we mature? Can't we go from milk to meat? Can't we, can't we? become light in the midst of darkness? Can't the church be an example? And this, you see, are things like child abuse in the church is the most demonic thing that can happen because the very place where people are meant to be most safe, they are most tortured. And this is like, you know, we, we are getting what's coming to us because we were not, we did not live in holiness, right? I'm talking one Catholic apostolic church. So, you know, um, and the experience excludes nothing, which means that in this moment of forgiveness, all one's sins and weaknesses are included, being at the same time both remembered and known as the essential darkness which has revealed to us the light. So confession is basically to say, I'm dark, and I've lived in darkness and spoken in darkness, and when Christ comes to me, he reveals himself in light. Now, that's extraordinarily risky. It is to open your hands and to let Jesus sort it out. So it's not an exercise in control. It's an exercise in faith. And I give you this little bit from Bernadine, which he wrote about his death, but it also applies here because confession and absolution is a kind of death and resurrection every time. The essential mystery of the cross is that it gives rise to a certain kind of loneliness, an inability to see how clearly things are unfolding, an inability to see that ultimately all things will work for our good, and that we indeed, and that we are indeed not alone. So it's very difficult to follow Jesus in this way because it seems so blasted, painful. But I give you the corollary, which is obedience is a gospel word. Um, to obey Jesus and to live in holiness is the greatest gift. And in this way, when we don't understand this, we only hurt ourselves. The suspicion that somehow Jesus is here to ruin our fun 
right? It's just, I mean, that's a worldly way to talk. That we would live within the Ten Commandments, that we would live within the church, that we would live by love, that we would be willing to sacrifice ourselves to see a brother or sister confess and be forgiven and be restored. It's the confidence that Jesus loves me and Jesus won't leave me and Jesus won't hurt me, which is the confidence that obedience is a good thing and not a bad thing. And then another, you know, nice Luther bit. Look at this. Your brother does not cease to be your brother because he slips or offends you. That is when he has most need of your love. We hardly ever think about this, that the people who have hurt us are most vulnerable at the point when they're hurting us. Although the gospel for next week on the last Sunday of the church here is Jesus being nailed to the cross while he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's exactly that. When people sin against you, they have no idea what they're doing. I mean, they may have a superficial idea of what they're doing, which is they found a way to manipulate you or hurt you back or move you around or exercise some power over you or get you out of the way. Of course, people understand that much. But in the broader sense of the church, what you understand is that people are fragile and people are broken. And they often act from this fragility and brokenness. And our goal is to bring them back. Loving your neighbor as yourself means that you should not obey the sinful nature, which, when it is offended, hates and bites and devours. Rather, you should wrestle against it by the spirit, the spirit of love, the spirit of advocacy, the spirit of power, the spirit of consolation, the Holy Spirit. And continue loving your neighbor, although you find nothing worthy of love in him, which is exactly how Jesus looks at you. He looks around the room and sees nothing worthy in you to love, and yet he loves you, right? So our righteousness is much more abundant than our sin because holiness and righteousness of Christ are mediator far exceeds the sin of the whole world. So just kind of keep this in mind. This is not, this is a young pastor mistake and kind of young Christian mistake of seeing that things even out. So you do a bunch of sins, and then Jesus comes and lifts you back up to normal. No, no. The Romans text, sin abounds, the Greek word for addition, 2 plus 2 plus 2, 2 plus 2 is 4 plus 2 is 6 plus 2 is 8. Sin abounds by addition. Grace abounds all the more. The word for multiplication, 2 times 2 is 4, times 2 is 8, times 2 is 16, times 2 is 32. So your sins grow like this, your sins grow like this, and grace grows like this and floods the landscape. It's Luther too. See, all of these things are not about just getting things back to normal. All of this is about better. It just isn't so you have a nice Christmas and nobody insults anybody around the tree right there next to that little baby Jesus in the crash. No. Speaking of which, Pastor Nelson wants a life-size crash out in front. Yes. <laughs> Let me just say to you, the, so what you want to do is, in the first line of that check, you'll write St. John Luther Church. Then you'll write something that'll look like 10,000, 10,000 and no. And then you'll put Crash for Nelson 2019. I can meet with you later this week, Dev. Okay, so. No shortage of ideas. That's good, right? So what you're meant to do if somebody sins against you is to go and to go alone. So I just... I challenge you today as you open up your Facebook feed, and you only have to look at the people that you're friends with. Um, just look how much of it is criticism of other people. 
explicit or implicit, people you know or that you don't know, just look at it and ask yourself, is what's going on there? Even in your own feed with the own people you know, many of whom will be church people, heck, you could just, if you can get yourself into a pastor's feed or some blog space where the darkness will descend quickly after the morning festivities, if you could just see the things that pastors are writing about, you would, you know, you know, you'd want to chew your arm off to get unchained from the computer. You know, the stuff that's going on there, you just say to yourself, come on. Just ask yourself whether the stuff that's written, just to, I, you probably couldn't do it for a whole week, maybe just today. Just ask yourself, is all of this among church people, forget about non-church people, just us, is everything aimed at getting my brother back? Is this aimed at making the church better? Right? Is this the sort of thing that would be attractive to the lost? Is this how the lost are found? Is this the sort of thing that gives dignity to people who are classically um, oppressed? Right? Does this lend dignity to children? Just, just see. Would you, would you, you know, just, just ask yourself the question. So this is the opposite of gossiping or blogging or posting, and it also presumes safety. Um, it means that you. You sort of go in safety and do this. Now, I said this before, but this is very simple. Somebody sins against you. You go to them. But you go, if it's safe to go, if the trauma won't be increased, if it won't result in violence, if, if, if. There's all, if you try to put this down as a rule by which you must follow, the, the, it'll just get worse. What you do is you try to say, How can I proceed to win that person back? And uh, now, here's the problem. It sounds odd for me to discourage you from this in these circumstances because hardly anybody ever does this. But if you always do it, it's probably not right. And if you never do it, it's certainly wrong. We should be thinking all the time about if we're sinned against, that we want to make things right. We do this uniquely together when everybody kneels down on the same level and says, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. In fact, I think, I think it might have been Arthur who told me in Africa he was at a liturgy where people at that point in the service sort of said the confession of sins and then they sort of started saying all the things that they'd done to other people and what people had done to them during the week, like saying, the zellers, please forgive the zellers because, you know, they... Can you imagine that in the liturgy? I mean, you'd be looking at Bev for more than that big check. You'd be saying, come on, what's going on, right? Can you imagine if this actually happened? It'd be crazy and really wonderful. So, um, you know, just try to get this... When it's proper, safe, appropriate, uh, non-traumatic, I don't mean in a hurtful sense. I'm talking about over the edge where people get endangered. Then you go because this is the way of making things better and not making things worse. And when you go, make sure you have the facts. So basically, this is to make sure that when you talk about a sin, it's actually a sin. We take offense so easily at so many things, you know. You know, people cut you off in traffic. Is that really a sin? You know, I was in the Costco parking lot yesterday. It took me half an hour to find a space, but I learned a whole new language of hand gestures while I was there. <laughs> the people in Oak Park, they have all these different ways to, to say hi to each other. It was amazing for me. 
It literally took me half an hour just to find a space. To, I never go there, but I was just, I, you know, I was just, it was the most amazing. And I thought to my, you know, I mean, I think there was one guy who went kind of both hands. That, I'm sure, is a sin. And you should follow him home and talk to him. But otherwise, you know, just kind of think it all the way through if it's really a sin. And remember that this is um, the word that's used here is for what's undeniable. So we're basically talking about breaking the Ten Commandments. You know, it's just try to be a little more generous with your, um, with your friends and family around here. Yeah, I don't know. You're waving at me like I'm at the Costco. What is it that you want to know? Yes. What's a, yeah, thank you. Not first, but broadly speaking. So um, you're good. I mean, so that would be, so the question is, say if somebody swears. I was swearing at you in my dreams last night, by the way. I'll have to talk about this Kirby later. I'm like, I was kind of went, and then somebody, church people were there. I'm like, but I have to say, you were calm while it happened to me. (laughs) By the way, I don't know if you know this, but when Pastor Nelson teaches this to the kids, this is, the title of this lesson is called The Christian F-Word. Do you know this? <laughs> yeah, the Zellers do because they have kids. Forgiveness. What were you thinking? <laughs> they never forget, I'm just saying, okay? Yeah, if somebody takes the name, I mean, if somebody takes the, you know, yes, in general, and you have to figure this out. You're a clever guy. Is it directly against you? No. Is it against the broader thing? Yes. Is it a brother or sister in Christ? Do they already know it? How much do they need from you? You know, I mean, let's face it. When Peter denies Jesus, all he gets is a little bit of a side eye, right? He doesn't actually stop and like, hey, could you hold it with the spears and the chains for a second? I got something I got to work out here, (laughs) right? It was just kind of like the, you too, right? So in proper measure. Um, But even just having this in the air, like, if, you, if this was just kind of the way we did things normally and gently and lovingly, just think of what kind of a buffer that would give for us, in your own family, too. If people had the self-awareness to say, I'm sorry, and people had the response to say, I forgive you, and then had um, the follow-up to say, I love you, and it'll, get, it'll be better now than it was before. But see, that ta- you know, that takes a, it takes a, a range of skills and spiritual maturity and confidence and um, if you don't grow up with it, I mean, if you never had Pastor Nelson you teaching you these words when you were younger, you may not have it in your bag of tricks when you get older. So, um, on the next page I give you this, what is a startlingly great prodigal son story from Blood Diamond, right? This where... Um, Dia, look at me. So the, the son is holding a gun on his father. Dia, look at me. You're a Dia Vandy of the proud Mende. Your mother loves you. Look at him. He leads with love, right? He doesn't say, obey me because I'm your father. Don't shoot me because that'll be the end of you. No, what does he say? Your mother loves you. And she waits by the fire making plantains and red palm stew with your sister, Nyanda, and the new baby. The cows wait for you and Babu, the wild dog who minds no one but you. See, there's only one like you, 
and our house is a poorer place if we don't have you back. You see how genius this is? I mean, this is raw Christianity executed with brilliance. And I am your father who loves you, and you will go home with me and be my son. Solomon walks up to his son, ignoring the gun, wraps his arms around him. This is the prodigal son story, right? There's only one story in the entire world, not just in scripture. This is the only story there is. So um, as you go, you know, the first admonition there is to speak so people can hear. Because it's not about you. You're trying to get your brother back. So you may need to rehearse a little bit and think about kindness and say a few prayers and go to confession and work this through. And by then it may wear off and that might be okay too. But speak so other people can hear. And in that, don't confuse um, clarity with cruelty. Of course, you want to be able to say specifically, this was a sin because it broke this commandment and it hurt me deeply and it hurt me in this way. But that's not the same as going full blast at somebody in order to destroy them. Anybody can destroy somebody. That's not hard to do. And um, always something for the vicars. The law is not a matter of volume, yelling at people a lot. If you say to somebody you love, you've hurt me deeply. It doesn't take much more than that. It's not a matter of volume yelling at people. And it's not a matter of going on and on and on. You've hurt me deeply. You know, three words in a contraction. So um, the law is only there until it pinches. And then the admission from Kleinig, we always want justice for ourselves, but our mercy for ourselves, but justice for others. Now turn the page. I want to make sure I... I don't think I've ever told you this story. So a new story. I know you who've been here a long time, you think you've heard them all. And I know that sometimes you just put your heads down and fall asleep at milk time. It's all, it's all good. That's fine. I don't think I've ever told you this story. I was thinking about it, and I thought, yeah, I can probably tell you. Um, sometimes it's a no call. If you turn on NFL football today, what? The rules don't apply for pass interference in the last 60 seconds of the game. They just don't, right? It's going to be a no call. Basketball, there's going to be a lot. Sometimes for you, it has to be a no call. Like, you've got to figure out whether or not this rises to the level of you're going to go knock on somebody's door or send them an email. So here's my, the, my best no call story ever. I love this story. I don't think I've ever told you this. We once had a member. Could be one of you. Who was very exercised about a program that was happening in the district and came to me and said, this is wrong, this is sinful, you need to do something about it, to which I said, two square blocks, buddy, sorry. So wrote letters to the district president, wrote letters to the elders and the people who were having the meeting about this, and he said to me, I'm going to go over there and disrupt that meeting. And I said, I said something I've never said before or since, which is, as your pastor, I forbid you to do this. Have I told you this story? No. I've never told This is the kind of stuff I carry around inside me. I'm always afraid when they put me to sleep to take my tonsils out what I might be saying. <laughs> so anyway, I said, I said, I forbid you as your pastor. I've never said it before or since. I forbid you as your pastor from doing this. That was on a Sunday morning. On Monday, my phone is ringing off the hook. (laughs) (laughs) What did he 
with messages from pastors and people and who are at this meeting who lead with, do you know what one of your members did? <laughs> yeah. So, do you know the phrase? I mean, I grew up in Iowa, so I'm not sure about this, but the phrase, all hell broke loose. Do you know that <laughs> phrase? <laughs> Finally, the pastor who was the host pastor called me and said, what are you going to do about this? To which I said, you be me, my favorite game. To which I said, what? I said, nothing. He's like, what do you mean? Then, of course, he recounted the whole story. And he said, so what are you going to do about it? I said, nothing. I said, it's a no call. He's like, it's a no call. I said, you know, like the last, it was lost on him. So I said, here's the reason it's a no call. Because he said to me, I said, why would you go and disrupt this? He said, because they won't answer my letters. But if I go and disrupt the meeting, then under Matthew 18, they'll have to talk to me. I'm going to sin against them and make them have to come to me. That's pretty twisted and clever, right? It's very clever, but it's a little, it's a little not what Jesus had in mind. So I just said to him, I said this, I said this pastor, I said, it's a no call. He said, what do you mean it's a no call? I said, it's a no call. I said, he came to you and disrupted your meeting because he wants you to um, have to meet with him. And of course, as you all know, the best revenge is a life well lived. So I said, you know, just make it a no call. And then you don't have to meet with him. We agreed to be a no call. And um, the steam continues to blow from his ears. <laughs> But I'm free because there was no interest in gaining your brother or sister back. It wasn't even close, right? Less extreme, but for you too. Sometimes things are going to be a no-call, by the way. Um, so one way to handle your thing is a, is a, is a no-call too. Sometimes, um, like in my dream last night when I was swearing at you, I actually, in my dream, also knew I was doing wrong. And in the dream, you didn't actually react to me. Maybe already I was dreaming of a no-call. i got to think about this. But, uh, right, so sometimes you might hold this for the times. Like, this isn't everything because here's the thing. If you follow Marilyn around for the rest of the day, you're going to have to Matthew 18. You'll probably have to Matthew 18 or probably 10 or 12 times before dinner. And nobody wants that, right? What's that? What Six p.m., maybe seven. <laughs> Where did you grow up? Come on, what's the matter with you? So, so here's the thing, of course, right? Just to recap, because the time goes ever so quickly, especially when you start 10 minutes late. The Lord gives us this as a gift. He gives us this as a gift in love. He gives us a, this gift in love to us so that we can be restored, so that our relationship with other persons can mimic our relationship with him. When he comes to a lost sheep, or when it comes to um, someone who's lost in sin, Jesus says, your sins really aren't good for you. Why don't you come home? This is precisely the thing that you're able to do with those who sin against you. Your sins aren't really good for you. Why don't you come home? This presumes, of course, that people are not home. Sometimes people just sin at home. Sometimes it's a no call. But for things that rise to the level 
for things that need to be sorted out, for things that will block us from going forward together and from being better. You go, you go alone, you go because you want your brother back, you go gently, you go in love, you go ready to forgive quickly. And you go, not just forgiving to forget, but forgiving and then letting the sin be that discordant note of moving forward where we'll never go over there again because that's so painful and it does no good. And that's the way that you want to proceed with other people in your family, with your friends, with your kids, with people who are in the church. All I can say to you is if we would give it a try, um, the church and the world would be a very different place. Uh, especially our church. This isn't the natural reflex when something is done, when sins are committed. We're much more given to the law, but if we could be given to the gospel, life would be different. I know there are more steps. You know, if it doesn't work out, you take a couple people with you, reliable people, honest people, impartial, impartial people, people who are respected on all sides. And if it doesn't work out beyond them, then, of course, you can go to the church, which would kind of start with your pastors and move from there. But that might take you years. Because sometimes it takes, you don't change very easily, and I don't either. And it might take other people a bit to change as well. So how about giving people a little space to spin around and uh, find their way? That might be helpful for all of us. Anyway, this is Jesus' way of being a loser. Uh, But of course, if you end up being a loser, you actually end up, in some sense, being a winner because the church comes together, and we're all on the way there. I think I've given you everything else that's here, although the last line is very nice. The Holy Spirit turns to joy whatever he touches. And so if you can let this happen in joy with the Holy Spirit, if you can do it because you're trying to gain people back, if you can have mostly no calls, and if you can really be very careful in the gospel when you do do this, but actually sometimes do it, And then, you know, mostly just sort of, as Henry Nouwen says, step over other people's sins and keep going. It's this beautiful phrase. You step over people's sins, and you just keep going all the way home. It's a nice thing. So give it a little thought about it. It's the exact opposite of power. You're not going to hear any of this on the evening news tonight, but um, this is how the church works, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, friends.